Welcome to Addicted on 103.2 Dublin City FM. My name is Tom O'Brien and I'm the presenter of the show, a weekly programme exploring addiction and recovery in Ireland. We'd like to hear from you, our listeners. Uh, feel free to email the show to addicted at dublincityfm.ie and we'll try and include any of your stories or comments on the show. My guest today is Austin Pryor. Austin worked in the Rutland Centre for many years. He was the assistant clinical director, I think that's correct. Austin. Sorry, Chad. Yeah, you're welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here. Yeah, how are you today? Good, good, yeah. yeah. Enjoying the weather while it's still there. Yeah, it's good. Um, what was it like working in the Rutland? Uh, Rutland was a great experience. I was there for about uh, 14, 15 years. I um, was very fortunate to get the opportunity to work there. Worked for short time in, in group as a group therapist and then I moved into the aftercare or as we call it the continuing care program for the last uh, say 10-12 years and that was like an extremely interesting time very very um, I suppose very rewarding because uh, I got a chance to work with the people who completed the program see them in the early days of the recovery see a lot of them come through until later come back as volunteers and you know hugely yeah. rewarding to do it also got a chance to work with the family members and you know to see the the healing in the areas where addiction had caused all the damage you know so it was so it's a, it was a great area to work in and you're now working in private practice is that right yeah i i, I moved out of rutland center in january and uh set up my private practice in greystones um i also see some people in town as well so kind of a spread there working uh, as an addiction counselor and i also clinical supervisor as well for counselors so but uh, excellent. Yeah, best of luck with that. Yeah. So just returning to the the work, um, and I suppose maybe drawing on your experience uh, today, um, people in recovery. You were saying was it's the rewarding part seeing people. I mm. suppose in aftercare. Do you want to tell us a little bit what what that was like? I, I suppose the biggest thing about it is is that sometimes when we talk about addiction. Uh, the emphasis is always on the damage and the destruction and and rightly so like it is hugely damaged and destructive condition but there is always life after addiction and you know I, 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 I at the end of my time I keep saying to people I'm an eternal optimist I still believe that everybody has the ability to find abstinence you know regardless of how many times they relapse I still believe that they have the ability and sometimes people lose their way sometimes people lose belief self-belief and fall by the wayside but for the ones who don't and for the ones who believe and who you know stick to a program particularly i think that's what they find most helpful but who manage to focus on what they need to do there's a huge reward not just for themselves but for the family you know yeah um, and the the outcomes in general for for treatment uh, across all sorts of programs aren't great but uh, obviously when you're working at the end of in the aftercare area mm. you're more likely to sustain people's recovery yeah I, I think worldwide figures would show that people who stick with a, a, an aftercare program of some sort do better than people who just maybe do a program of treatment and and then don't follow up mm -hmm. i think that that would be uh, figures to prove that um and i i think what i would have seen over the time it kind of does break down into like about a third of people will stay on recovery never never look back about a third of them might fall off the wagon but get back and then about a third of them might disappear but the good thing about that is even in that third that might disappear 
Now, the sadly is some of them die and don't make it back, mm-hmm. but a lot of them do make it back, even yeah. after a length of time. So when people talk about success and failure, I'm always a little bit reluctant, you know, to talk about that, because, like, what, when do you call it a success and when do you call it a failure, you know? Yeah. I suppose the mis- misconception uh, is that once people, in, the, in terms of drug, drug uh, addiction, substance misuse, once people uh, uh, cease taking the drug, that they have recovered. I suppose oh, that's yeah. not really the case. Not really, no. No, and I would be a firmly be believer in that, that it's really about changing lifestyle, changing habits, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, I, people often say, well, why would you need to go into treatment for, for like some treatment times are four weeks, some of them are five weeks, some of them are longer. Mm-hmm. Why would you need to do, you know, don't you just stop? Uh, and like in Rutland Centre, there was a requirement, and there is a requirement that people are drug free before they go into the programme. Mm-hmm. And that also sometimes prompts the question, well, if I'm drug free, why do I need to go into the programme? Mm-hmm. But the point is, it's not, just being drug free it's staying drug free is the yes. challenge and that does involve changing thinking changing habits and changing lifestyle really yeah i suppose it's it's the thinking the habits and the lifestyle that led to the problem in the first place mm. exactly and once exactly. the drugs are out of the way people can start addressing mm. that actually i saw a very interesting comment from uh, russell brandt uh, recently mm-hmm. he he said that you know for him drugs are not the problem life is the problem yes drugs were a solution not a healthy solution, but they were a solution, you know. Yeah, and I think coping. a lot of people would would agree with that. Yeah. So they just have to find a new way of coping. Yes, yes. He's he's uh, in recovery himself. Yeah, he's about eleven years, I think, around that. Yeah. yeah, and a great advocate for for recovery. Mm. So, um, what's what's the process like then? Work with people who are who've moved beyond the immediate drug use and they're now dealing with uh, relationship issues, is it or? behaviors what's what's the kind of process that helps people to look you know do they is it something that they find easy to deal with or is it a challenge well, I think it's a challenge because it's like changing the habits of a lifetime for a lot of them. Um, interesting enough, it often does come down to relationships, you know, and that could be relationships in the broader sense, you know, the, like the, uh, the cliche of the relationship with themselves, the cliche of the relationship with their family and friends, work colleagues, and that is often, the, you know, the difficulties that people experience in just trying to live and trying to relate to others and, mm-hmm. and to cope with themselves. Mm-hmm. And at some point, maybe the drugs or alcohol or whatever, they got into behavior-wise helped them to cope with that. Yeah. So the challenge for them is then, okay, the, the problem is still going to be the same. You walk out of a treatment program or you come out of your aftercare, everything else is the same. You're hopefully different. So what are you going to do differently? You know, mm-hmm. And that is the real challenge of it. And, and it's helping people to see that there is another way, you know? Yeah. So I suppose maybe people... Um is it, is it issues around confidence then and self-esteem? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is around, I, I think in, I would, we would have noticed in latter years, um, particularly with the younger people coming through, a lot of issues around confidence and social anxiety, self-esteem, self-belief, a lot of, a lot of that. Uh, sadly, a lot of it also goes back to abuse from childhood that could be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is showing up now mm-hmm. in addictive behavior. And, okay. you know, people then, the way they cope with that is by putting down the behavior or the substance and then going back and investigating the issue and yeah. dealing with the issues you know, in a therapeutic way, that's, that's to me, that's the only way through it, you know. And that's uh, therapeutically in therapeutic groups and one-to-one? Yeah, one-to-one one counselling and mm. groups, yeah, yeah. I think that's the way to go. 
And uh, how, how long does the programme take then for people who, who do enter into a recovery process? How long do people need to be in, in that process? Well, I suppose I, I kind of... I'm of the opinion that people are always in it. I think there is there are different stages. I think there's like the stage one, the early stage is when people it's really about staying free of the substance, avoiding the occasions, avoiding maybe people, you know, like very very black and white kind of just avoiding it. The second stage then is probably coming to terms with the fact that well I still have to cope with life. You know, and sometimes people come to that. They, they often they say, oh I've given up the drugs and alcohol and the gambling and everything else but I'm not happy mm. and they say like is this it and mm. my answer to that would be no it's not necessary it, there is there are things you can do you know and that might be again now that might be the process of going back into counselling maybe even around issues in your past or your relationships or you know so the process goes on I think when people get past that I think uh, there is still you know people I, I friends of mine have been in recovery for years and years they would still keep a contact they would still work a program they would still you know be conscious of the power of addiction and I think that's something that people should never lose sight of the, mm-hmm. the huge power in addiction you know yeah so it sounds like people will need to find a purpose or a life purpose or be on a path yeah. of development yeah and yeah uh, I think it's quite interesting I think with, with developments in neuroscience now I think they're beginning to you know, th- this is the kind of thing that people like Alcoholics Anonymous have been saying for years but without any particular scientific basis mm-hmm. but now I think neuroscience is beginning to prove that actually the brain does need a time a period of adjustment mm-hmm. that there have been new pathways unhealthy pathways created in the mm-hmm. brain and that they need to be re, you know reconstituted yeah, exactly. and you know there is a process mm-hmm. and, and that there is a physical effects that happens in the brain mm-hmm. because of addiction, which makes it sadly that you can never go back. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's just to do with the physical makeup of the brain. I think. You it's know, interesting because we were talking earlier before the show just about maybe food addiction, and mm. I suppose it's a similar <coughs> process there that food creates these pathways. Or absolutely, for example, like sugar. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. Exactly the same. I mean, that's often used as a very good example of it. How that you know, and, and food is one of those things that can be hugely damaging, whether it's because of the amount of food intaken or the avoidance of it. You know, mm-hmm. so you have the two extremes of the anorexic or the overeater. You know, mm-hmm. and equally damaging and yeah. equally uh, destructive to people. You know, often referred to as emotional eating. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, they, well, I, I mean. Uh, I would believe myself that under every addiction there is an emotional issue. Mm. Um, eating is kind of a really good example that, because even I mean, people who wouldn't necessarily regard themselves as having an eating disorder or something would often say, oh, you know, I need chocolate to get me going or, mm. you know, I'm, I'm, I've all done a bit of that, I think. But there is definitely uh, an emotional need that can be created around comfort eating and it's like every other addiction. It's fine up to a point but then once it starts to impact on your health and on your livelihood and on your just your honesty and all of that then it's now it's a, you're in trouble then you know and are people accepting that a food is an addiction or are, is it um is it something that uh, people realize when they're in recovery that maybe food is something they're using also i i think this the, 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 i mean i'm sure if people listen to the program today there will be people who disagree with the idea of food being an addiction, you know, um, but I just happen to believe that it, it, it it's call it a compulsive behaviour, you know, addictive behaviour. That's what it becomes down to. So that people are driven compulsively to either 
take too much food in or to avoid food. You know, to, to, from a rational point of view, you're damaging your body, so why would you do it? So the, to me, the explanation is that this is a compulsive addictive behaviour which mm -hmm. follows the same pathways as other addictions and that forces you to do something which is having serious consequences for you but that you continue to do it, you know? Okay, we're actually going to take a, a short break for a piece of music now um, from a group called Codes and the song is called This Is Goodbye. This is Goodbye. <laughs> Very nice song there uh, by Codes. Uh, this is goodbye. Um, welcome back. You're listening to Addicted on 103.2 Dublin City FM and I'm talking to Austin Pryor. Austin, before the break there, we were just touching on, uh, I suppose, what's termed process addictions, uh, food being one of them. What other addictions now come into that area? Uh, well, I suppose the, the main ones that I would come across would be gambling, overspending and sex addiction, sex mm -hmm. and power addiction. I know you did a lot of work on gambling. You were talking to Colin McGarry a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, touched on that. So, like, the, the common thing that those particular addictions have, and I suppose they're a little bit different from food as well, is that their addictions are very much go on under the surface mm -hmm. and that they generally don't um, become uh, even treatable until the crisis arrives. Like, people will... Like gambling, people will, you know, they'll, they'll spend right down, they'll get into all sorts of troubles, mm -hmm. and then they'll, they'll try and do something about it. Yeah. And same thing happens with the overspending, mm -hmm. and like the sex and porn industry is definitely mm -hmm. a growing area. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the damage that's done before it even becomes obvious is, mm -hmm. um, you know, is really the, the, the insidious part, of it, yeah. I think, you know. I suppose with the gambling and the overspending, maybe there's a point at which people you know, run out of cash mm. and it, you know, other people intervene and it, there's obviously a crisis point. But with sex addiction and porn, um, wh where does the crisis arise? Is, is it people isolating? Is it not, like, I suppose it affects relationships? Huge effect on relationships. I think it's, it's you know, every addiction affects relationships, but I think uh, that particular one affects relationships more than anything um, because oftentimes it, it, doesn't show up until maybe somebody finds something on a computer by accident or mm -hmm. you know a message on a phone or something like that and then it all comes out mm -hmm. and partners will talk about the tsunami I've heard partners describe it as like the, the, the tsunami of finding out like your mm -hmm. whole world just collapses around you you discover that you've been living a lie with somebody for years mm -hmm. and it's it's a very very damaging you know mm -hmm. very very damaging I suppose there's uh, an element of shame in, Huge, yeah. in society attached yeah. to sex in general yeah. and then when people hide it or live a secret kind of mm. way of expressing it. Um, and there's uh, a kind of a lack of understanding about it as well and there's a bit of a glorification of it, like people kind of get caught up in the Hollywood version, you know, the pretty woman kind of... Uh, and really when you, when, you, when you deal with people who are caught up in the whole process of addiction in sex mm. there's very little fun in it you know mm. and there's certainly no glamour in it it's, it's mm. really degrading destructive mm. full of shame full of self-loathing full of self-hatred uh, and one of the guys to me the other day described it as an addiction of loneliness and just l total lack of self-worth you know yeah. that's and it's an awful dark place to be and unfortunately that dark place can include partners and family as well it's mm -hmm. very destructive you mm -hmm. know 
and I suppose it's people um, it's the damage that that happens maybe people they don't use a substance mm -hmm. but uh, they express their emotional That's pain it. in, in a different avoidance, kind of way. Yeah. avoidance yeah avoidance yeah the avoidance people would often talk about it as, as a an intimacy disorder uh, you know where people just they're not able to connect in any kind of a an intimate way with with the people that are matter to them but they have this kind of depersonalized connection are there uh, sex anonymous groups or what are they there are to? there are a couple of there are two there's one the sex they can be called sexaholics anonymous and there's mm. another one called sex and love addicts anonymous mm. um they operate on the very the same basis as the alcoholics anonymous at one level but they have a slight difference in that they're a bit more careful and discreet about their meetings so they don't they don't publicize the meetings but they they generally make a phone number available to, mm. to somebody who wants and then if somebody wants to go to one of the meeting they will be met by two other members and you know it's it's a way of protecting them because unfortunately the nature of that particular mm -hmm. behavior is that it can you know attract voyeurs and, yes. and people who are just in for this to you know yes. their own satisfaction you know and there's also the other side of it there's help and support for family members as well and, and i think that's probably maybe an area that I'd love to emphasise more that um, I remember a few months ago talking to a woman who called me to talk about the fact that she just discovered that her husband was um, a sex and porn addict and she'd spoken to a friend of hers and her friend said well you know that's it your marriage is over uh, you better start making plans and she so she was kind of suffering from a double whammy a double devastation mm -hmm. she was you know and and really I, I i didn't necessarily agree with her friend because i i've seen couples and relationships who have managed to survive that tsunami and are struggling you know it, it's not an easy struggle but who do manage to, to manage to 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 fight through it and make it work and build a relationship you know so again i think there should be a message of of realism on one level but also hope at another level you know that it this is possible to do with this you know yeah is it fair to say that um, i suppose maybe with all sorts of addictions in the family system that the addict uh, can be a scapegoat for mm. family stuff mm. and even in a relationship maybe the the sex addict can be expressing something in the relationship then could be could be and, and in a lot of the cases it's maybe something that they've brought into the relationship from their own uh, family of origin you know issues that that are there in terms of you know their own self-image and self-esteem self-belief and it just gets passed on to their partner and then rather than dealing with it they avoid it uh, you know and one very successful way of avoiding it if you like is by going you know into the whole porn industry which is very impersonal mm. and um, you know kind of it's, it's possible to kind of isolate in that if you like you yes know? yes and i suppose as you said that there is hope that i suppose maybe for the partner who is on the maybe the, i don't know the more painful side or the, the tsunami yeah. side of yeah. it um that maybe if if there's there is hope there that there is hope now it takes a huge amount of courage and a huge amount of patience i have to say you know because you know we were talking earlier on about early recovery from substance you know there's the focus on you know and just not 
using the substance. The same thing applies in, in, you know, if you talk about the early recovery. So people have to work out a little bit like with food, like people have to work out a healthy relationship with food. If somebody's trying to recover from a food addiction, you know, whether they're overeating or undereating, they still have to work out a healthy relationship with a substance that they have to face three days, three times a day, you know. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, if, if a couple in a, in a healthy relationship have to find a way of, of you know, achieving a healthy relationship with sex and the struggle that that brings yeah. can be a real challenge for, for both people in it, you know. So I, ima- yeah. I imagine the treatment then would involve uh, the, par- the couple working together? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and it is a real challenge that they need to work separately and together. You know, there's mm. that there's that piece in it, but it, it it does take a lot of courage and a lot of patience. I think you know. Mm-hmm. And um, do you think that society is is becoming more addictive? You know, people now, sex addiction, um, gambling, uh, food, overspending, drugs, alcohol. I, I wonder. Is it like we're all? I always think we're we we we. we Attachment is a big is a way we function, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? We mm-hmm. all like things, and we, we get attached to various things, and it's then when we cross the line into the unhealthy attachment, and maybe there's more opportunity now than there used to be. You know, like the obvious example of gambling. You know, the online has produced an explosion of opportunity for people to gamble. I think you know, and mm-hmm. I think with it has that has brought an increase in gambling addiction. Yes, like through the Celtic Tiger years. There was definitely, even though you'd never, you know, it was never sort of recognised as such. But for me, there was a huge element of gambling in a lot of the, you know, the the, the developing in that, and 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 I think we paid a big price for that, you know, at the end of it. But yeah, I think there's just more opportunity, and certainly when you go into the sex and porn industry, the opportunity is just exploding as well. So it yeah. creates it. Yeah, no, I think that that's really, you've hit the nail on the head there in talking about attachment, I suppose, uh, and the Celtic Tiger, can, people can become attached to success mm. or t- attached to money, mm. but uh, at a human level, we need attachment, we need healthy attachment that's to, it. to other yeah. human beings. That's it, and that that's often the thing that's missing, like people, mm. maybe because of a dysfunctional family background, maybe because of difficulties, being been bullied at school, maybe been abused, they have lost the ability to attach, really, you know, yes. and that's kind of a sad thing. I often think that, like, for like myself, working in the field, like, sometimes it's easy to forget that the things that we take for granted, you know, mm-hmm. I go home to a loving family, that it's easy to take that for granted, that if I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have that, how would I cope, you know, and, and I think that's how drugs and substances and behaviours fill that gap for people, you know. That's a really interesting point to finish on today, Austin. I really appreciate uh, you coming in today. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's been good to be here. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Austin. So um, that's it for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. And remember, you can email the show, uh, your comments to addicted at Dublin City FM. We don't receive many emails, so don't be afraid to email us your questions or comments. And uh, if you need support, you can email that number, that email, and we can always uh, uh, send advice or whatever, recommend services. That's it till next week. Uh, you've been listening to Addicted on Dublin City FM 103.2. Thank you.